turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 5 through 11. At an outline on the back of your bulletins, you'll see that there are seven points. Today we will deal with point 7, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let us beseech the throne of Christ. And then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you in awe of your amazing grace. And Father, as we lay our souls before this text, Father, may we hear you. Father, understanding that you have come to redeem that that was lost and do it with a forgiveness that spans the ages. Father, may we be known as those people those people who walked as Christ walked in forgiveness. Father, as we see our dear brother Paul exhorting this church to change their direction and to restore the man who had sinned, Father, may we, as children of the Most High God, bow before your word, heartily saying, Amen. And Father, forgiving as we have been forgiven. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you, Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that, on the contrary... You should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excess of sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven If I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. This is a fascinating text, and and I'll review it quickly because I do want to spend a little time on his schemes. Um, We have looked at these first six points, and and, and I, I want us to keep it in mind in its context. The Apostle Paul had some problems with the church in Corinth. Uh, The church had just basically been overwhelmed by the society which it existed in. Uh, Secular Greeks will write of this time, and they used to speak of a person who was promiscuous as a Corinthianizer. Because that's what Corinth was known for. That's what Corn was known as. Uh, you see many of the great philosophers who always wanted to take their vacations or their downtimes or their reflected times in Corinth. Uh, uh, Corinth was an awful place, an awful city. And yet, by the mercy of God, he planted a church in Corinth. That is amazing to me. But what had happened is, and and I see this a lot in the church today in the United States, 
is that you have a person who has had X number of years living in a decadent pagan society. And all of a sudden they come to the point of salvation in Jesus Christ. And when they enter into the church, they bring all of that with them. And they try to take theology and blend it to how they were raised or how they grew up or the influences that they have been immersed in for whatever time that they've been immersed in it. And one of the problems that exists in our churches today is that nobody's teaching the Bible. They teach about the Bible. But what you will find is, is that many cases, they'll take a biblical text and give a human philosophy in light of that text. Well, what happens is, if I've got this philosophy that is out here, that is, by the way, anti-Christ... If I've got that and I'm trying to blend it with scripture, I'm going to try to seek out somebody who doesn't confront me. That's the church in Corinth. That's the church in America today. I I don't care what anybody says. I can go through 1 Corinthians and show you down the line where the church in America today looks just like the Corinthians. We have corrupted and perverted everything and anything. I heard a pastor not long ago make the comment that Christians are allowed to divorce because you probably married the one that wasn't the one God wanted for you. Really? Um, But who does that appease? That doesn't appease God. But it does appease man. And when you look at the church today, most churches are run by the people who want their ears tickled. Make, make me feel better. I had a bad week. And they don't want to be confronted. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's referred to as the severe letter. Right? And there's a possibility that before he wrote the severe letter, he actually made a surprise trip to Corinth. What happens is when the congregation st- starts sinning to the point that they are calling it godly, they now are open. And I'm talking about true believers here. They are now open to false teachers. Well, if you have a place that teaches sound words and that teacher leaves, guess what is coming in the door next? False words. And I just false teachers don't stand up and say, "Um, I'm a false teacher and I want to lead you all to hell. They don't do that. All right. They lay right beside truth a lie. And if you're not paying attention, it crosses and you'll never know it. And one of the things that you see today, um, and I use this phrase a lot. I call it you have the experiential church and then you have the liturgical church. Okay, and what do I mean by that? 
the experiential church says, if I experience something in the quote-unquote church, then it truly has to be of God. All right? The liturgical church says, I ain't experiencing nothing and you can't make me. All right? And you can call it the liberal church and the religious church. You can call it whatever you want. But this is what I see in the body of Christ today. And this is part of the scheme of Satan. So when Paul had left Corinth... False teachers had come in, and false teachers are really, really good, especially with people who are relying on a sensation to draw them out of truth and allow their sensation, allow their senses, allow their experience to validate truth. And I've already told you guys this before. If you are looking for an experience, know this emphatically, you will find one. I guarantee it. The question is, is it of God? Is it of God? Do I test it in light of Scripture and say, well, yeah, that's of God. That is of His nature. That is of His purpose. That is of His will. The Apostle Paul had confronted this church, and when he was there, a man had stood up in the congregation and accused him, attacking his character. He had said he had wanted to come back to Corinth and visit them and had had a change in plans and was staying on longer in Ephesus. And therefore, the people believed that he was not a man of his word because he had changed his travel plans. This opened the door to let me attack the messenger. And in light of no scripture written of the New Testament and the New Testament church, it was Paul's word against the accusers. The accusers will do the same thing that I see today. Let me get those who will ally with me, will ally with me, and will follow me, will listen to me, and therefore we'll start the Second Baptist Church. And you see it all over the place today. All right? Instead of saying, let us reason together from Scripture, which now they didn't have it. But they should have sought the Apostle Paul out. They should have sought the God-fearing people out and said, what counsel do we do? There's too many in the body of Christ today who are listening to their own counsel. Too many. Because let me tell you something. My own counsel, I can convince myself of just about anything. So if it becomes a time of heartache, it becomes a time of turmoil, a time of trial, I will seek godly counsel. And I'm, I'm not talking about somebody who has a degree. I'm talking about somebody who walks to walk and talks to talk. Paul had confronted and said, this man who accused me in the congregation, who accused me of uh, attacking my character and my integrity, and that what, I was not even an apostle, you need to confront him and you need to deal with him. But I take, I take great joy in this church because I find here that if you look in light of 1 Corinthians, knowing that there was a trip and the severe letter in between, and then 2 Corinthians, you see that God had started bringing them back to where they needed to be. Titus had taken the severe letter to them. It was presented to them. And then Titus brought a report back. We've looked at this in detail. And when he brought the report back, he says, Paul... They're listening, they're acting, and they're walking. That's awesome. That is totally 
totally awesome. The Apostle Paul, beginning there in verse 5 through verse 11, is basically saying, okay, you did what I have asked you to do. And I praise God for that. Because in verse 5, we looked at this in depth. It deflected their pride. Paul says, follow me, it deflects pride. Paul was a man who lived with the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ at any moment. And he understood that he had absolutely no room for any pride. You will look a little later and you will see that he had a messenger from Satan, a thorn in his flesh, who literally boxed him. And he says, and I prayed three times, Lord, remove this. God said, my grace is sufficient. I'm doing what you want. But you know what? The Apostle Paul, he was a man who ascended to the third heaven. He was a man who seen the resurrected Christ on the Damascus road. He was a man that was bearing fruit by hundreds and thousand fold. So Paul was a man who was in a position for pride. And God said, no, I'll give you a thorn. So that you won't step into pride. And you'll rest in my grace. So it deflected Paul's pride. He makes the statement there. If any is called sorrow, he calls me sorrow, not to me, but in some degree. Now, listen, I don't care who you are. And 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 I've been through this. If you've ever been in a pastorate. You will be attacked. You become the target. All right. And if they can't find sin in your life, if they can't find false doctrine in their life, they'll attack you personally or they'll attack your wife or your kids. I guarantee it. You know, your kids ain't doing this. Your wife shouldn't be doing that. You know, I I remember my wife telling somebody to turn a a song from the piano and they got mad and said, but women ain't supposed to speak in church. (laughs) Give me a break. All right. You know, I, I know a lady who visited here years ago. If I mentioned her name, everybody would know who she is. Was mad that my wife didn't wear a skirt. Okay. What, what is that about? I mean, technically, if we're supposed to be like the Jews were, I should wear a skirt. A big robe thing. That would be pleasant. <laughs> All right, but but you see what happens, and we get into these things, and Paul became a target. And he says, but you know what? It's not that big a deal. Why? They're just attacking Paul. See, Paul says he, re, he knows that whatever affliction comes to him for preaching the gospel is because they're trying to attack Jesus. And he ain't there, so let's shoot the messenger. And that's been going on for years and years and years and years. But we also, in... Forgiving, we have the ability to show mercy. Okay, these are blessings to you and I. Why is it in our society today, forgiveness is not considered a blessing? And yet, if we are not forgiven, then we are damned. I, I, it's, it's got a disconnect. But our society looks at forgiveness as weakness. It isn't a virtue. It isn't noble. Get your pound of flesh. And I think about in the body of Christ today, 
how much mercy the Lord Jesus Christ has given to each of us. And how can we not, in the act of forgiving, give mercy? Verse 6, sufficient for such a one is the punishment inflicted by the majority. Why? The punishment was documented. This is what you need to do. This is what we will, what will happen. The man was confronted with his sin. He has come and begged for forgiveness. And now it's time to move on. Okay? And it is now like Jesus is with you. Your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Then your forgiveness is the same. I, I know people today say, well, I forgive them. But I'm watching them. That ain't forgiveness. Okay, because we think, well, if I forgive them, well, what if they do it again? Well, you know what? You don't get any guarantee that they won't. Because I would ask you a simple question. When Jesus forgives you of a sin, particular, have you ever repeated it? I know none of you have, and, you know, I'm shortcoming on that one. Okay, I mean, I used to practice at some sins. Okay, and kept asking for forgiveness as I practiced. I know you guys couldn't believe I would say that, but I know none of you have ever done that, but that's okay. That's why God put you in my life (laughs) to keep somebody humble. (laughs) But do you see what I'm trying to get at? Because the punishment is sufficient. But you know what? We already looked in the first letter that you had those people who were, I am of Paul. And if a person attacked the person they are of, then guess what? You'll have a group of people who will want an extra pound of flesh just to make sure. Well, what if, what if I confront them and they repent instantly? That's no punishment. I've seen it and you guys have seen it too. And, and I, that's the kind of stuff that when we look at this, do I, sh- do I have an overwhelming desire in my heart to show mercy? Third thing there was to restore joy. There's nothing, I I can't think of any creature on the planet probably more miserable than a non-repentant Christian. I mean, they got the person of the Holy Spirit doing this all the time. And you can tell the ones who are non-repentant because they don't have no joy. They don't have no peace. And, And you'll hear them make comments, well, I don't even know if I'm saved. Okay? And those are the people that the Holy Spirit has got his thumb right in the middle of their neck. And he's saying, hey, I am talking to you. And you know it. Have you ever had a stretch of time where you just didn't have any peace? Ask yourself. And, and it's funny because when we don't have peace, it's everybody else's fault. Isn't it? Okay. But if you really are honest with it. I have peace and joy that surpasses understanding when me and my Lord are at peace. When he's asking me or telling me to do something, it's like Peter. Remember when they were in the boat and the storm was coming? All right. And they saw Jesus walking on the water. All right. And Peter stands up in the boat and says, Lord, if that's you. Now, see that? That's that strong faith there. Okay, Lord, if that's you, but then he makes an amazing statement. Command me to walk out to you. That's an interesting thought. 
It wasn't that Peter was so faithful, he just jumped out of the boat and dun 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 dun. Okay? And the Lord says, it is I, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. Now, how many of us have asked the Lord, is that you? But none of us have ever said, then command me to do something. I guarantee you. I ain't never done it. I am not that foolish. <laughs> I ain't getting out of the boat. <laughs> Why? You're coming this way. I'll wait. I don't, you know, you guys say, well, I'll get out of the boat. All right, go. <laughs> you know, I'll wait. Because you'll end up drowning in the middle of the storm. He'll dra- drag your butt back to me anyway. See, I got this all planned. That's the kind of stuff that you and I, when I look at this text and I'm thinking about, here's maybe the greatest, most important man in the body of Christ at the time. And they attacked him in his congregation. Attacked his integrity, attacked his character, accusing him of teaching error, accusing him of being a liar that he was not an apostle. Now you think about that for a second. And his thing is, let's make sure we show mercy so we can restore the joy. I mean, you'd have, you would restore the joy to the person who had committed the sin. You would restore the joy to the person the sin was committed against. And the whole congregation would be restored to the joy of Jesus Christ. But we also want to affirm his love. I shared with you the word affirm there is, is a legal term. And it means to be done something. It means to ratify and it literally meant that there had to be a time in the church that they stood up and said such and such is being booted from the church for attacking the Apostle Paul. You do not receive an accusation against an elder in the church without three or more witness, two or more witnesses. All right. So what he's saying is now that we are restoring him, we want it to be done publicly. We want it to be done congregationally. We want everybody in the church to reaffirm their love for this brother. Every single one of us. And he did it publicly. That's awesome. Why? Because it's, it's like the statement I've made to you. You who think you are spiritual, see any brother in any trespass, come alongside and restore them in love and carry their burden. Okay. Now, one of the things that I've watched in the body of Christ today is that we love pointing out your burden. <laughs> I don't want to help you with it, but boy, you got a burden. Okay, and I've already warned you guys that if I catch anybody pointing out burdens but not willing to walk with that person in the restoration process, then you have to deal with me. Okay, now I know Christ is involved with it, but I get cranky about that. All right, because he who is without sin calls God a liar. And if you walk into a situation where you have a brother or sister who is in sin, then God wants you to help restore them. He doesn't want you to condemn them. And we have a tendency that we just want to condemn them. Boy, I can't believe you did that. Why don't we look at restoring joy? Why don't we affirm our love for that person? Because if I affirm that love for that person, that means that I'm going to come along and I'm going to bear that burden. And the bearing of the burden out of Galatians 6 means I'm going to come up underneath it and lift it up on my own back. Whatever that person is carrying, I'm going to put them on my back with their burden and I'm going to carry them until they're strong enough to walk again. 
And if you're not willing to do that, then I highly suggest that you just shh, keep it quiet. All right? Why? Paul, verse 9 says, For this end I also wrote, so that I might put you to the test. What? Are you obedient? See, <laughs> we have obedience, and then we have obedience. All right? There are some things that I am obedient to, and that are fun to be obedient to. Okay, I don't mind potlucks. Be obedient with the fellowship. Amen, brother. Okay, uh, there, isn't that right? There are things that we do in the body of Christ. Oh, oh, that's easy. But when it comes to confronting sin for the purpose of restoration, that's a little. You want me to what? Think about this for a second. What is the Great Commission? Did you know that it's not to make converts? It's not. What is the Great Commission? To make disciples. How many of us are diligently, prayerfully preparing and exercising making disciples? Making learners? How many of us? And I bet you'll find out the number's small. Because you know what it means? I've got to take time. I have time in preparing myself. I mean, if I'm going to make disciples, I probably ought to have some information to give. Okay? Then when I get the information to give, I have to ask myself, is this true of me? Do I walk in this truth that he's just given us? Because once you step into that realm, that I have this information, it is true of me, I walk in this. Then he brings disciples. And guess what happens then? Then the real work begins. Because disciples are frustrating. Disciples don't show up. Disciples are tossed to and fro. They, some are weak. Some are weak in their understanding. Some are weak morally. Some are entangled. And it takes time. And yet, who is it supposed to make disciples? Those who are the pastors. Those, those are the disciple makers. No, they're not. It's everybody. If you're saved, you know, you know, I, I hear people saying, you know what? I can't wait to get into the ministry. And I, I just want to look at them and say, I, I wish you'd get saved. Because as soon as you're saved, you're into ministry. Well, you just don't understand. I don't have time. Tell Jesus that when you see him, would you? Because we all make disciples. The, the, pro, the problem is, is that we are making disciples right now. You may not like what you're producing, but you're making disciples. You can't walk through this life and not make learners by your lifestyle. You're making disciples. Okay? But am I obedient to walk in a manner worthy, pleasing of he who died and paid the penalty for my sin so that I can be obedient unto that? You know what? I, I watch people struggle with baptism. Uh, and, and people say, well, you know, baptism doesn't save you. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't. Well, then I don't need to be baptized. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that. Okay. Because 
If you think baptism is tough, wait till God starts working on your pride. Okay, because that's where it really the proverbial fur will fly. Okay, because baptism is nothing more than an act of obedience. Why was Christ baptized? Because it was good and acceptable. Right? And now you claim to be a follower of who? Christ, which means you should be baptized because it is only good and acceptable. But it also restores fellowship. If I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes. Do you get that? That's a fascinating phrase. I am forgiving for your sakes. Why? Because it restores the unity in the body of Christ. Paul was in Ephesus, and yet he knew that there was disunity in Corinth. And if there's disunity in Corinth, then he knows that it's coming around. It's all out there. There's disunity in the body. And it doesn't matter whether the body is in, in, in Orel, Russia, Tenement, Burma, or Kassarok, Colorado. If there's disunity there, it's disunity in the body. And we are all a part of that. You know, I shared with you guys when I go to do these trips overseas, I am a representative of you guys. This isn't my ministry. This is our ministry. When you preach or teach or you have opportunity to share the gospel, that is a ministry of us. And that shows the fellowship in the body. And there's a blessing in that. Now then, I want to get to the point. Verse 11. So that no advantage should be taken of us by Satan. We will be blessed if we are forgiving by beating Satan. (laughs) I run into a guy. It's an ongoing thing. And he was telling me about binding Satan. And I said, well, that's cool. And he says, well, do you believe in binding Satan? I said, well, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ is going to bind Satan. I read that part, said the chains and all the rest of it. And he says, well, if we bind him, then he's ineffective. And I just smiled at him. I said, well, who keeps letting him loose? And he says, well, you know, he is powerful. And he says, you know, and if you command him in the name of Jesus, then he will whatever. And I was like, you know what? My kids don't listen to me. Okay. Do you really believe that Lucifer... It's just going to listen to me. I got to be honest with you, brothers and sisters. I hope Lucifer doesn't even know what my name is. I don't want him around me. I don't want him near me. All right. I have enough problems with me without having some demon deciding that he wants to pester me. All right. Listen, I want you to think about this. I hear a lot of stuff today that is described as sexual or not sexual spiritual warfare. Here's the reason I said sexual. Okay. There's a teaching out there right now on concubi and secubi. Okay. And they are fallen angels and what they do. And I don't know which one is which, cause there's certain things I don't pay that much attention to, but one will afflict women and one will afflict men and they cause them to fall into sexual immorality. And once you figure out, whether it's concubi or secubi, then you can bind them and you won't fall. 
And they tell me that that's spiritual war. <laughs> okay. So we can get all these guys' names, then we have a victory. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Um, that, I don't have any way to describe it, but that's Flip Wilson theology. Okay. Flip Wilson used to be a comedian and he used to make this statement that the devil made me do it. Okay. I got news for you. Your flesh makes you do what you're doing. He may tempt you. He may entice you. But your flesh does it. Satan's plan, Satan's passion, Satan's desire is this. Tear up the church. Tear up the church. There's a reason Jesus called it the body of Christ. He wants to tear it up. Why? He's already lost. He knows that. Now I need to make it ineffective. I need to attack it and tear it up and deceive it. Listen, if you go back through this thing that Paul is trying to show us, the seven blessings. Why? Satan wants to create pride. Check out the church today. Satan wants to destroy mercy. Satan wants to eliminate joy. Satan wants to eliminate love. He wants to show diso and, and encourage disobedience. He wants to fracture fellowship. He wants... Now, there's two tracks in this, and I hope I can keep this clear. He wants sin to exist and flourish in the church. He prefers sin to run freely. In the church. But. If he can't motivate that thing. And he, he gets into a church that. Is going to deal with sin. Then he wants it dealt with harshly. Without grace. Without mercy. Without joy. Without forgiveness. See, he has all kinds of schemes. And we have to forgive so that he has no advantage. So he can't create pride. So he can't, you know, cause our egos to puff up. So, so that we won't show mercy. So he can tear the joy out of the body of Christ. And you know, let me tell you something. If you don't forgive, you'll fall into his trap. You know, the tragedy with that statement right there is I have too many illustrations for it. If we don't forgive, it hinders us in so many ways. It, it, it hinders our humility. It hinders our mercy. It hinders our joy. It hinders our love, our obedience, our fellowship, and it will tear apart a church. And Satan wants to produce animosity. Okay? If he can't get free-flowing sin, then uh, let's make the people hard, harsh. Now think about this. First Corinthians, he's dealing with free-flowing sin. He's saying, hey, you guys are goofy. 
All right. They confront the sin. They deal with the sin. They bring the church back to her moorings. And now he says, guess what? Don't be too harsh. Don't don't run off on down the other road. You know, you, know, you think about this. The first letter uh, written to the church in Ephesus in Revelations. Okay, he, he talks about how great they are. You're doing greater than. You're doing this. You know what? Your works are heard. You know, you're testing them. Make sure that they're not false prophets. You're rocking and rolling, guys. But what happened? You lost your first love. If you lose your first love, what are you going to start walking in? Pride. You start walking in pride. This unforgiveness tears apart a church. If people are going to deal with sin, how do we do it? So there's two lines letting sin run free in the name of tolerance or attacking the sin and not doing it with a heart of passion to forgive. Either one of those will tear apart a church. Okay, Whether it is the experiential people or whether it is the liturgical people. Whether it is the liberal people or the legalistic people. Now listen, I'm not talking churches because both of those exist in the body of Christ. Those individuals. Tolerance has destroyed its share of churches. Intolerance has destroyed its share of churches. A lack of dealing with sin has destroyed its share. A lack of forgiveness has destroyed its share. God hangs it right in the middle. You have to confront sin. Have to. If you do not confront sin, then why did Christ die? You have to confront it. But you have to do it knowing that he died to forgive. And if we are followers of Christ, then we confront the sin... But we bear the burden to restore the person. Listen, and uh, brothers and sisters, Satan has every imaginable angle. (laughs) Every corner is covered. He wants to drive people into sin. If they are confronted, he wants to drive them into despair. And then those people will be driven to bitterness, self-pity, and all the other things that you can think of. He wants to tear up the church. The church is a target. He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, Peter tells us. He Listen, the thing about Satan is he's described and disguised as an angel of light. And he can either be a liberal angel or a legalistic angel. Whichever one you want. He's flexible. He's ambidextrous. That may not be the right word there, but anyway, you know what I'm trying to get at. He comes to deceive. His messengers look like messengers of Light. 
He wants... Do you understand that each and every one of you this day, every one of you, I don't care your age, I don't care what your background is, I don't care what you, where you came at from society, I don't care what your education is, He wants to sift you like wheat. Like he did Peter. And that picture there is that I want to take and toss you up and see what blows off. And there's not a Christian on the planet earth that is immune to that. When you are tossed up in the air, what comes out? What comes out? I mean, one of the, I grew up in the construction trades. And, and I, before salvation, had a mouth like a construction worker. You know, very small adjectives. Well, it was. Okay? And I knew I was saved my first day on the job because I was using a waffle head hammer. Okay? And I don't, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. And I held up a, 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 a nail like this and went bang and hit that thing sideways and tore all the meat off of my thumb and just rolled it over onto the other side. Okay? And I didn't say nothing in my small adjectives. I mean, don't get me wrong. I went, oh, wow. (laughs) Okay? But what I would have done before my salvation (laughs) would have been the blue streak. Okay? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, whoa, how did I get away with that? And from that day on, any time profanity ever came out of my mouth, it was like sticking my head in a 55-gallon barrel. And I thought, whoa, that's serious stuff right there. Why? Because he wants to sift us like wheat. He wants to destroy our faith if he can. He wants us to put our faith back in us. Nobody's going to get up in the morning and say, hey, today I'm going to trust in Satan. He just don't do it. Okay? But you will put your faith in you, which is following Satan. And listen, he says here, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want this. That's what he says. We are not ignorant. We should not be ignorant. We've got Satan picked out these days and he's, I don't know if it's a combination of Bugs Bunny theology or what it is, but all of a sudden he becomes powerful. And you know what? He's not. He's not. He has been beaten. He is defeated. And yet all of a sudden we put all this emphasis in him and his followers. Look what he says here. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Okay. Of what? His schemes. Noimata. Noimata is the Greek word there. I don't want you to be ignorant of his desires. I don't want you to be ignorant of his devices. I don't want you to be ignorant of his will. I don't want you to be ignorant of his plots. Um, Paul writing to the Ephesians church in chapter 4 verse 14 As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. Don't be a child in the faith. Don't be a child in the word. If something don't sound right, it probably ain't right. 
If you know God's will and you're wrestling with trying to make it fit your life, understand you probably deceived. We must be very careful. You and I. We must be very, very careful. You know, I listen to all the stuff, some of the stuff that is out there under quote unquote spiritual warfare. All right? We're in spiritual warfare. I got demons doing this and binding that and cutting loose with this and, and all the rest of it. And you know what I found? His schemes are very simplistic. Because you know what? We really can't put up that big a battle. It's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's it. And he will come at you from every angle, every imaginable angle to try to cover those bases. And we have to be careful because one of the things that will happen to you is that because of your pride of life, you will not forgive. And you have given him an advantage in your life. Listen, if we are not careful, Satan will rule the church. Please understand that. He will rule the church. He'll steer it. He'll steer the church His will. He'll steer the church His way. He will make His life the church. And the advantage that He has is that when we, as collectively or individually, refuse to forgive. And He does it either through the free flow of sin or for the lack of forgiveness or... Both. We're both. So Paul says forgiveness is crucial in the life of the church. Even though the man sinned an awful sin against this godly man, even this man must be forgiven so that it will deflect the pride in the church. It will show mercy in the church. It will restore joy in the church. It will affirm love in the church. It will prove the obedience of the church. It will restore the fellowship and the unity of the body of Christ. And it beats Satan. And it beats Satan. I don't know about you guys. I want to belong to a church like that. A humble, merciful, joyful, loving, obedient fellowship where Satan has no place. I wrote a little footnote here. Wow. Forgiveness can do that. Forgiveness will do that. Hmm. Let me summarize this text because I'll be gone for a couple of weeks. All 5 through 11, chapter, verse 5, it affects the one who forgives. That's what Paul is saying. Okay? It affects the one who forgives. Verses 6 through 8, it affects the one who is forgiven. Okay? The one doing the forgiven, the one receiving the forgiven. Verses 9 through 11, it affects the whole church. Got that? Verse 5, it affects the one who forgives. 
6 through 8 affects the one who is forgiven. And 9 to 11 affects the whole church. It's pretty good. All it does is produce mercy, produces joy, produces love, produces purity, produces humility, produces fellowship. And the greatest thing that one sinner can do to another is to forgive him. May we be known for that. Let's pray. Father, I just praise you for your word. I praise you for my brother Paul, even though he suffered so much. Father, may we be known as this group was instructed as a people seeking the blessings of forgiveness. And Father, may you help us. Please, Lord, help us to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing call. Father, to walk in the humility, to walk in mercy, to walk in joy, to walk in love, to walk in obedience, to walk in fellowship. And Father, give our adversary no advantage whatsoever. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us this day. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, your forgiveness of us. And Father, may that be how we are known to your glory and praise. Amen.